Hey guys, welcome to Mix in America. I got a special guest with me today. I'm going to jump right in it. Um, Terrence Reeves Chong, pastor at Freedom Church uh, here in Minnesota. First of all, let me just introduce you. Say, hey, what's up? Thanks for joining me, Terrence. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, this means a lot that I could be on the uh, on the show, the podcast, man. Thank you so much. I'm excited, man. This is great. Yeah. So obviously, we're, we talk about race. Um, I've known you for a while. Um, I feel like we're fairly close friends and we, we've had a lot of conversations about some pretty decent, decently deep stuff about faith, about life. But I, yeah. I don't know if we've ever really had conversations about race before. Um, so I'm interested to, to get into this with you. Can you maybe just yeah. kind of tell me your story a little bit? What's what is your background? Where are you from? I know you're not originally from Minnesota here. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's funny, actually, to comment on that. I think the deepest conversations, the deepest that we've had have always been in like passing. Like, I think we've had like great conversations about like football and stuff, but then we'll be like, I remember once we were like setting up for a camera and it was like, hey, we got super deep. And then one at a wedding, it was like, hey, what's up, man? And we got super deep, you know? And we've yeah. always been like, man, it'd be great if we sat down and got deep. So, so yeah, yeah, that's why I was so excited for this, man, because we've had some great conversations. But yeah, man, um, <laughs> yeah, so you know, I think the question was like, what brought me up here to Minnesota, right? Is that what you yeah. said? So I had actually just gotten saved um, at my at my church in Waynesville, Missouri, which was kind of a radical uh, experience. I got to my senior year and uh, I was going to enlist in the Marines. I was going to get married and uh, all that stuff just went out the window, man, because I got, you know, found Jesus. Right. And so it changed my life. He changed my life. Um, and uh, this internship came through. They did some services. They were crazy. Um, they actually were athletic. This was actually what like kind of um, got me excited about being a Christian is because I thought being a Christian meant that you had to be like super lame. Just to be honest with you, I was like, okay, if you're a Christian, you can't do anything cool. Like, you know, no, no being, being cool. No, no talking to ladies. Like it's just all, you know, just lame stuff from here on out. Right. <laughs> so these dudes came through my church and they were like jamming on people. Like they were like behind the back dunks and you know, taking charges like pros, you know? And so I was like, <laughs> I, I could be a Christian, right? And so <laughs> it was funny though, I encountered God. And so those guys were from Minnesota. I joined that internship, came to Minnesota and uh, that's what brought me up here. So I've been here from, oh, what? Since 2005 now, so 15 years. This is my home now. So yeah, man, that's how I got to Minnesota. Yeah, so how has how has race impacted your story? You're not, you said you're from Missouri, right? So I don't know if, if in your town growing up, race was different, um, you are of mixed race. What What is your experience growing up? How How has race shaped your experience of life? Yeah, um, man, I would say in a dramatic way because I, I grew up in Missouri. So, you know, historically, even speaking, it's a split state as far as civil war goes. So you had kind of some north, some south and and so we definitely fell on the southern side of that. Um, but, you know, racism definitely was alive and well <laughs> where I came from. Uh, we were the only black family um, in the community. It was a small town. Actually, there was a couple of others that moved in uh, later on. But um, we were for sure. Um, yeah, we were we were the black family. Right. And so race really um, affected my outlook on life because it was definitely something that was acknowledged and and emphasized to me often right like because i was the black kid like you know being an all-white community you're the black guy and you know i think a lot of pressure comes with that you know we experienced i didn't experience a lot of racism up front 
Um, but as I went on, I would encounter it in shocking ways. Like I dated this girl and, and, you know, I was like, man, she's so cute. Everybody's like, ah, oh, Terrence, like, you know, though they call me Terry back then. Right. They're like, Terry, you dog, like, she's so hot, you know, oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> but then her parents were like, Hey, you're not, you're not dating a nigger. And I was like, Whoa, like, and I was like, Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm different, you know? And so they yeah. hit me with that. And I remember I was like, I can't believe they just said that, you know what I mean? And so she had to break up with me and it was like little moments like that where it was kind of like, Hey, you're one of us, but you're not. Yeah. And so that, you know, you, you kind of grow up with, for me, I grew up with um kind of a duality feeling of race on one hand, because I grew up in an all white culture that it, it, and it was occasionally it was known because the black kid and you can't date this girl and you can't, you can't talk to that guy and you got to fight with this guy because he's racist. And so on one hand, I grew up kind of resenting my blackness which is sad because I, I just want to be a kid. I just want to be normal. But then on the other side of my family, because I have a great, great family, I was proud of my blackness. So kind of reconciling this, like I would, I'd be so mad at the fact that I was like, I just want to be normal, you know? But then yes. on the other hand, I was very proud of being a black, so a black man, you know what I mean? So like my, my heritage is rich. I'm not ashamed of it, but it was, a, it was definitely difficult growing up like that and having to struggle with that, you know? Were you, cause you're not full so, yeah. black, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, this is actually kind of an interesting thing here. And I haven't told a lot of people this, but I grew up, you know, I'm black and Asian, right? Terrence Reeves, yeah. Chong is my name. So black and Asian. Um, so I kind of had that, you know, I didn't really run into a lot of Asian people. So as far as my Asian heritage went, it, it wasn't really necessarily enforced through my family or culturally. Um, so, you know, I just kind of had the, I don't know. I was just like the Asian card. That's what I call it. I was like, I was Asian. So Chinese New yeah. Year rolled around. I was like, Hey, I'm Asian. That's me. Right. You know, I'll take two. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. <laughs> like I was, I was Asian and black, but then kind of growing up, I mean, it's a long story. I actually found out two years ago that I'm not Asian. Um, I'm actually white. I'm black and white. Yeah. And that's a long story, long, long story for another episode. But um, <laughs> so all the Asian jokes that I've made, I'm sorry. Um, I thought, you know, I was like, how can I be racist? I'm Asian, right? And I would say things that probably only Asian people can say, but I'm not, I'm not Asian. So <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I take that right. back. I'm gonna keep my name because it's mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting, man. Very interesting. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. what about what about coming up to Minnesota? Was was there a difference in in the way um yeah. race was seen and the way you were seen? Um, you know. What, where you live in Minnesota, was it more diverse? Was it less diverse? Was it, um, you know, we that grew up in Minnesota think of the oh, North kind of as less racist? Yeah. That, was that your experience at all? Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, it was crazy. Well, okay, so all my life growing up in Missouri, I grew up in a small town until I went to high school, and it was a very diverse high school. And so I grew up with a lot of diversity in high school. But then the, the trickiest thing about that is is – you know, um, fitting in, like I, you know, a lot of people would tell me I didn't act black enough. Right. So I'd be like, yeah. I would be hanging out with some guys, you know, just kind of being me really trying to find that racial identity. Right. Like, okay, so now as a black man, I'm going to hang out with black people. And I would say things and they'd be like, that was the whitest thing you've ever said. And I was like, well, how's it like, like, that's me. Right. And so yeah. the struggle of even trying to find out like, like, how can I just be uh, uh, how can I be me? Like, how can I be accepted and find that identity in race was very difficult, very difficult. Um, but I was used to more diversity. Um, you know, I, I definitely, you know, there was a kid once on the playground in my other school 
when uh, growing up and he said something racist and I fight him and everybody kind of stood there and watched. Well, in, in the new school, in my high school, if anybody would say anything racist, like you didn't have to fight, like you had like a whole crew, like of black people that didn't tolerate racism. So you didn't really have a lot of overtly racist people in my high school uh, because it was so diverse that, you know, I mean, you you definitely uh if you were gonna say anything racist it was it was like all out war you know what i mean and and uh, so you did, i didn't really have a lot of that i didn't feel like i was the only black guy right so i just kind of got to be me and established what that meant so yeah coming up to minnesota it was definitely more diverse i would say i found um i, I it was you know when i went out it was like oh there's black people there's all kinds of ethnicities so that was really refreshing i think um, until I got into Bible school, it was kind of like the the small town all over again, where it was kind of like, oh, it's me and this guy, right? Like, it was like, there were like two black people. And so coming back into the church actually was kind of like going back to my, not my high school past, but my like elementary growing up middle school past, right? Because it was like, everybody's white again, right? Um, yeah. And it actually, it's funny, Josh, too, because people would be like, well, there are black people here, but they were like from straight from Nigeria. And there's a yeah. big difference between like African oh, yeah. and African-American. And I was like, listen, I know that we're black, but I don't, I don't think we're connecting on the same things here, you know? So yeah. it, I kind of felt like it was, you know, definitely that again, coming into the church, you know? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a big thing that I think white people don't understand is that cultural heritage is one thing like just because somebody has darker skin doesn't mean that we culturally identify with each other or that we necessarily have anything in common because there is you know in brooklyn park does have a pretty large like african population um this is obviously african-american yeah. too and asian brooklyn park's pretty diverse but but growing up yeah. kind of in this area um you know african is different than black and it's I mean, it's not a, it's not like a big deal and it's still diverse, but I think yeah. white people just don't even really understand that there is a difference. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I do. I do. I know what you're saying yeah. a lot, you know, cause I think, um, I think even in times where, you know, I had voiced in just certain circles, like, you know, like, man, like, you know, I remember once in high school, a girl was like, just straight up said in front of everybody, like it was normal, like, oh, I would never date a black guy. And I remember thinking, I was like, man, that was the most hurtful thing. Like, cause I actually kind of had a crush on her and it was like, nah. like, <laughs> so when she said that, I was like, not only are my chances crushed, I don't know if I like you anymore, right? And she, yeah. she kind of went on to explain like, oh, listen, my family would never accept if I dated a black guy. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean, right? And some yeah. of the other like, you know, people in the Bible school. And this is crazy because now this is like Bible school. We're all Christians. So this is like a, yeah. this is a shocker to me because I'm like, oh, I thought, I thought racism died now that we're all, we all love Jesus, right? You know? Yeah. And so it was because me and the black guy, me, me, his, you know, I won't say his name, you know, but me and him, like we were friends and he was like the other, only other black guy. And we were like, what? <laughs> I was like, thank you. Thank you that somebody else realized how racist that was, you know? And so, we talked to her after we teased her for a little bit and she was like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I didn't mean it, you know? Um, but yeah, it was funny. Cause actually it's funny. Cause people were like, she's not racist. Don't worry. But now that I've kind of learned a little bit more about this, it's like, that is racism. I think a lot yeah. of people have defined racism as hating black people, you know, but racism isn't hating black people. 
You know, if that's the definition of racism, then anybody gets the I'm not racist card because I don't hate black people. But just the simple uh, statement that like, oh, no, I would never date a black guy is that is racist. And I think we've yeah. got to change that definition, you know, a little bit. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, there's a lot you said in there that I kind of want to unpack a little bit. Um, but but what you were just talking about. Oh, there yeah, is yeah. People can be not be racist, but say racist things. So that might have been the case with that. And I think people have a hard time telling the difference between that and separating yeah. that. Um, and yeah. then I also, I have a story of, I'm not going to tell the whole story. I think I've told it yeah. before on the podcast, but I had a girl in college that I liked and she told me that she couldn't date me because she could never take me home to my parent, to her parents back in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of a moment wow. like wow. a reminder of that, that kind of stuff. So like, I didn't expect that at all. And she was from a small town in Texas. So like I kind of justified it as like oh they're still racist over there, um, but right, obviously it's right. not secluded to the south. Um, no. And then the other thing was I, I got I got this asked this a lot in college when people found out I was mixed they asked do you like black girls or white girls did you ever get that question I thought that was the Bro. weirdest. Thing ever. I thought all that was so all the time all the time yeah. dude or like in 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 the church and even at like you know just the white communities I was a part of, there'd be like a black girl that would just come and visit and they'd be like, oh, Terrence, Ter oh, yep. she's black. And I'm like, y'all, I don't even know her. Like, you think it's just like, like, what are you thinking that black people yeah. are? Like, we're like, oh, one of my kind, yay. You know, it's like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, yeah, dude, I got that question all the time. Yeah, which is just ridiculous. Um, but yeah. I do want to yeah. talk about, so the, you mentioned the deep conversation we had at a wedding just a couple months ago. I want to talk about that because honestly, yeah. this is one of the reasons why I for sure wanted to do season two of Mix in America because I wanted to have this conversation with you. Um, you told me a story about you recently wow. found out some of your family history. Can you tell me that story and explain what what you found oh. out? Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. It's crazy because 2020 for me was a uh, a rediscovery year, um, and it's crazy. Like on the surface, if if I were to tell myself the facts of 2020, maybe like five years ago, it would have seemed uh, it would be like a, a story of loss, right? Um, but in actuality, it was a it was honestly a beautiful story for me of rediscovery and um, really freedom. Um, and so one of the things that I discovered in uh, 2020 was that my great grandpa, I called him Opa, um, and uh, that, that's a long story too, I called him Opa, he's German, right? And so, um, so we called him Opa and, uh, you know, uh, great man, um, you know, my grandpa, a great man, hard worker, and so, uh, actually, I mean, this is probably like, how, how long ago was this? I mean, Josh, I, cause I told you that was fresh. Like when I told you that man, that was, so that had to be what, like July or June? No, it was, I don't know, it was Kaylee's Oh, was it? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-oh, if she watches this, she's gonna uh -oh. be like, say what? You're supposed to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I do um, know, but I'm not, I'm gonna skip those details. I do yeah, know, okay. but I just, yeah, I'll skip that, yeah. <laughs> but no, it wasn't so, that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, where yeah. you know, so so I discovered that my opa actually they had owned a farm in uh Oklahoma. And so um what happened was he had about I think it was like five hundred acres, 
and uh, some some men from the town, um, they were white men, approached me and said, hey, you know, so this is my great grandpa. They said, hey, we want to buy your land. And he was like, no, I'm not selling my land. Like, you know, we got this. And it was a long, that was a long story, too. I mean, but they earned it. They got it. And so what happened was um, the, the men, some of them were police officers and others were just part of the town. They wanted to buy the land. And so what happened was they ended up burning the house down with his wife and uh, kids locked inside and ran them out of town. And so they died. Um, and so they took the land. And so my opa had to escape to Arkansas, I believe, where he became a sharecropper. And uh, he actually got himself in so much debt just because he had nothing. So he was at the mercy of whoever could could uh, hire him at whatever contract. And so, yeah, so he worked that and got a lot of debt, then moved. Because he was in so much debt, he had to escape to St. Louis, which is where he, uh, you know, kind of lived, you know, the rest of his life. And uh, he, you know, so at the end of his life, he kind of had the only thing he had to show for it really was like this house that had debt on it, you know, and some other things. He raised great children. Uh, he he raised uh, monetarily. That's the only thing he had to show for it. But, you know, inheritance wise, uh, he imparted a lot of um, tenacity, a lot of hard work ethic, uh, a can-do attitude, you know, don't ever quit attitude, which really helped my grandpa be the man that he was. But the reason why this story was so significant to me is because I had seen a lot of my family members struggle uh, financially. I saw a lot of them have, like my grandpa, he had to start from scratch, you know, and, and even his his struggles that he had, and he's doing very well now, um, but, but my, you know, my wife, who is white, has an equal story. She has a, a similar story about her great-grandparents owning land, and then they used that land. They paid it off debt-free, and then they passed it down to my father-in-law now, and uh, he owns the land with his siblings, and then they're using that land to build up a financial legacy for their family. And the story of provision and providing a way for their family to go to school and follow the dreams on contrast to my family who had the same amount of land. They actually had more land. And our story wasn't a story of legacy. It was a story of reset. So when their family kept going higher and higher and higher to this day, they have an inheritance that is setting them up a debt-free land, debt-free house. I mean, so people can do what they want to do my family had to start from the bottom where their family started way up here, you know, economically speaking. Yeah. And so the, the, the impact on two generations, I got to actually see the contrast um, because that's not the case uh, for our family. If there's any financial legacy that's going to be handed down, it's actually going to have to be a first generation one, as opposed to my wife who was able to keep the land because they were white and my family lost the land because they were black. And so that was a painful um, lesson to, to hear and to learn uh, from my family, but one I'm grateful for because what it's done in me today. Yeah, did we, we talked about at the time, but I don't know if you ever looked up or if there's a way to look up, if that had something to do with the, the race massacre in Tulsa back at the, I don't know if it was around the same time or not. Yeah. But. You, you know what? I didn't get to dig into it too much um, and look at the timelines. Um, I actually have some family members that were going to share more with me, but it's um, there's a reason why I just learned about this 
you know, recently because it's, it's such a, a tender moment. Um, one thing I've learned with our family culture and, and I've seen it in other, you know, uh, black culture is we were very proud people. And so we don't necessarily talk about like the resets or the yeah. pain or the trauma, but we talk about, you know, how to move forward and how to build and rebuild. Like we, my family, even growing up in a, in a small town where we experienced racism, our mentality was you don't ever let anybody set you back. Like you don't ever yeah. let anybody hold you down for your dreams, no matter where you come from or what they say, you outwork, you outperform, you be the best that you can be. And then when you're on top, you show generosity and love. You yeah. show acceptance and tolerance. You make the culture that you want to be a part of to all of them, even the haters. And so for us, we never really talked about the past, even though it's such a rich inheritance to me. Um, but we always talked about like how to move forward, you know, as a people. So, yeah, yeah. man, I'm going to look into that, though, because that's definitely interesting. No, I don't know exactly how you look it up. I guess maybe to see what the year is or whatever. But that's yeah, important. Yeah. That that's another example because those massacres in Tulsa. Like I went to school in Tulsa, never heard about them. It it wasn't until the last Dang. really few years that that stuff's kind of come to light. Wow. And even now, there's talks wow. about like the official thing is like that there was there was like a couple hundred that died, but like they say it could have been like thousands. Um, so many people that were killed because they they were black and successful. Um in the early part of the 1900s. And I think stories like that are important because it's not, it's not everyone's story. Not every black person in America had to, right. um, I've talked about it on this podcast before, my mom's parents were actually pretty well set up. Um, my grandpa earned a doctorate, sent their kids to, to Catholic school. Uh, my mom was actually better set up than my dad was as far as financial mm. success in life. But stories like that remind me and should be a reminder to people that there was stuff like that. Like besides the fact that, okay, when slaves were freed, it's not like they gave them the 40 acres and a mule or anything like they, they, they had nothing. Um, so that already building generational wealth was hard. And then when you have stories like the, the Tulsa massacre or like your great grandfather that did build the life for themselves, and then they had it taken away, that wasn't that long ago. And so that story and, and comparing wow. to, to your wife's family, not that they have anything to apologize for, but you see that example of like generational wealth. Like how do you accrue gener generational wealth when that's taken from you like that? And not, not right. that I have like answers that we can, we can fix it, but I love what you said about that makes me stronger. Like I hear stuff like that. I want my family to overcome. Yeah. Um, and, and it encourages me that I can overcome anything. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Right. Yeah, man. I love how you said that. Cause that's, that's exactly where I'm at. I just had to come to terms with the inheritance that I have as an in internal. And it's, it's the lessons of, of pick yourself back up if you fall or if somebody throws you down. I mean, yeah. it, regardless of why you're in the pit, whether you got there yourself or somebody threw you in, get out, get up, yeah. dust yourself off and dream again, live, and live, live again. And if, even if you, you know, for me, yeah, I want to give my kids an inheritance, so I'm going to build that. Like, I'm going to build that however God leads me and inspires me to do that. Um, and, and I'm going to get to work, you know, and I'm willing to work hard for it, not in spite of what was done for my to my family um, or even me in my life. But I'm going to do that to create the future that I want to see. And I think that for me, it keeps me out of that uh, a trap of being a victim. You know, like I never got ahead because of this or I, I never was able to give an inheritance because of that or them. It's like, no, 
No, like I'm, I'm a reject victim mentality and I'm going, how do you do that? You create. So I'm going to be a creator. I'm going to create the life that I want to see. I want to create financial freedom, you know? And so that's, that's the kind of lesson I took from that is like, we can do it. You know, my family did it. My opa did it. My grandpa did it. And by the grace of God, I'm going to do it too. Yeah, no. And that's good. That's tough. Not a lot of people um, have that understanding where it's like, even if, even if something happened to you, like you said, I love what you said about it. It's, even if it's not your fault, you're in the pit, somebody threw you in there, you still got to get out. And, and, and even though it's harder, yeah. yep. you still, <laughs> yeah. you still want to overcome. Like you can't let that defeat you. And I love that your great grandpa didn't let that yeah. defeat him. And he still left a legacy no. for his family, even if it wasn't financial at that point. You talked about yeah. this last year being a year of, of what I don't know what you call the discovery, right? It was a year of discovery. Um, this last year has been yeah. 2020 had been, it was crazy. Um, not that the calendar flipped and everything's perfect now, but um, you know, walk me maybe through a little bit of that last year. We don't need to go into details about um, you know, anybody that yeah. might still be upset or whatever, but 2020, you, <laughs> you're, you're as close to Savon, yeah. you know, as any of us. So losing Sav and then starting your own church uh, right before the pandemic hit. Um, and then, you know, George yeah. Floyd. And I don't know if there's any discovery for racial, um, if that helps spark some things for you or, but just, I guess, talk about this year and and how has it affected uh, just you and then the way you've seen race maybe in America right now? Ooh, all right. Yeah. So this goes, this goes, it's a two hour long podcast right <laughs> two hour long there's a no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah man there's a lot there's a lot man and uh yeah i i heard a quote um uh just today actually uh from a pastor out west and he said uh trauma happens when you walk through pain alone and 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 i, I thought dude that's crazy because i gotta first say like i walked through a lot um in 2020 and uh, I'm thankful for the people that helped me walk um, through it. Um, there were so many people that helped me and, and helped me process so that I could come out of the pain. And, and, and from some of these experiences that you're saying, and even the, I, I say trauma, but yeah, I guess I could say that, you know, because even finding out, you know, finding out I'm not Chinese. I mean, that's crazy. I grew up every year, like celebrating and, and being like, yeah, I'm Chinese, but there was a lesson in that too. And so um, I said it before, but my biggest um, banner moving forward was, you know, I refuse to be a victim. Uh, I'm going to be a creator. I'm going to create the life that God has shown me on the inside. But yeah, man, 2020 was crazy. You know, um, uh, uh, you know, starting a church in the middle of a global pandemic, um, losing friendships uh, that was solid. Um, George Floyd, our, our city being like turned upside down. Um, you know, I don't know if you have this, but you know, th this equally can be a point of pain, but like having people only reach out to you because you're black, you know what I mean? Like, like, Hey, it's black history month. Can you speak? It's like, well, come on. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like nothing. I, I don't think people understand how, how hurtful it is to, in, to only be embraced because you're, because of your blackness and not because yeah. of your humanity. Um, that could be a very hurtful thing, you know, um, even when George, George Floyd happened, you know, having people reach out to me, you know, and say, hey, I care about you, um, but then never do anything. I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot. It was very it was a very hurtful experience. Um, and during the pain, 
you know, I kind of found myself at, at different crossroads and different like kind of points of rediscovery of like, okay, who am I going to be like, who, what, what, what am I going to do from all of this, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was a, it was a tough road. Um, I think for me, I came to this conclusion that racism, even though it is an issue, it's not the root, you know, the root is really evil, you know, people treating human beings differently because of the color um, or because of their background and and using their positions of power to oppress and not serve like Jesus modeled to us. It truly is an evil problem. It, it's a it's an evil problem. And so for me, like discovering that I wasn't Chinese, I'll go I'll go to that for a second, discover that I was actually uh, white and and that that story is um, epic in and of itself. So, you know, um, it really kind of solidified in me that race um, is, it can truly be a fickle thing, you know? And even though I honor my, my heritage, I honor my history, I honor where I've come from and what my ancestors have done, um, I'm going to choose to put my identity in something higher than something skin deep, you know? And that's the beauty of Christianity, right? Like, because the Christianity, the church, our message should be come as you are, bring your culture, bring your race. Like, let's not pretend that it doesn't exist. Obviously, that's that's foolishness, you know, uh, because what I've seen happen is 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 you can tie. How do I say this? You can tie your own cultural norms. Uh, you try to tie them into theological concepts. So then people start losing who they are and uh, and what they're about things that aren't the word but are sold as the word right and so what we have to do as a church is we have to we have to get our culture we have to untie our culture from the word and let the word be the word and culture be the culture and our message is come as you are be black be white be chinese be be hispanic be, be who you are and bring your culture and then let's all together put that in the back seat of our lives and allow the word of god to be in the front seat because we're all followers of the way and so anything that we've learned culturally that goes against the way, we'll have a discussion around that. Um, but, but we will identify with who we are in Christ, but still maintain our cultural background, still maintain our racial background. And, and, and you know, for me, it was embracing, you know, I am a black man, um, but I, I am God's son first in Christ. Uh, I, I've been grafted in to the kingdom of light first. Um, that doesn't make me uh, not black. It, I, I am proud to be black. Um, I'm still kind of discovering what it means to be white and black. I don't know what that means yet because that's a new discovery. Um, don't know if I'll even take the time to do it. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'm saying, I'm I'm been, I've been black and white my whole life. So come talk to me. We'll talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> I will. I will. We'll have to talk about that afterwards because I'm like, yeah. what does this mean, right? <laughs> but yeah, man. So for me, it was solidifying you know, my identity as I'm God's man, you know, I'm God's man and, and a black man. And, and you don't have to, th those two aren't in opposition. Um, and, and, and that's, that, that's something that we as a church, we have to be proud of. We have to celebrate our diversity because that's truly where the, the strength of the church is, is when we don't back down from those conversations, maybe where minority group feels marginalized or oppressed by the majority. Um, we can't stray away from those conversations. So 
for me, man, I guess all in all, 2020 has taught me two things. It's taught me it's it's refined who I am in Christ. It's taught me uh, to love all the more. And it's also taught me that that it takes courage to stand up against evil. Um, and and like the Bible says, like people aren't our enemy. When when the moment people become our enemy is the moment that we will do like a reverse uh, 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 oppression thing, you know, the moment I get in power, I'm going to make sure that my enemy, the people is like, no, 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 no. Like people are not our enemy. People are our mission. Uh, and so, yeah, man, that all people, the people in my past that have, you know, um, uh, wronged me or thrown me into a pit, maybe the people that have even shown racism towards me. I truly love those people. That's who I am. That that's, that's as, as a black man, as God's man, I love people. And, and yeah, man, that's that's kind of what I've emerged from 2020 out of all the all the all the pain and all the loss and all the crazy things, you know, that have happened. Um, I think it's, it's those two things are really solidified, you know, in my life, you know, man, that's really good. That that kind of answered my next question was going to be kind of what is I mean, you answered a lot of stuff. in oh, there, yeah. but Kind of what what would the what is the church's mm. response? You're a pastor. What what does the church need to do or mm. not? during this time yeah yeah you know i would say honestly my biggest thing that i've seen in the church is the church you because you hear a lot of people say we got to talk about it right and so yeah. like i want to take that a step further because like conversations aren't enough they're not enough because the oppression and the injustice that's happened it happened it actually happened right yeah. act right and so it took an act for it to actually happen. And so when the church's response is, well, we got to talk. Well, no, no, no. Like if an act got us into oppression, then an act is going to get us out of oppression. If an act caused the injustice, then the act is going to bring justice. And so what we need to do is all these, you know, yes, the conversation needs to happen, but the conversation needs to happen, happen from the posture and the position of action, right? And so what I think the church needs to do is as we approach these matters of race and injustice, you know, and, and oppression is we need to have the conversation from the posture of willing to be wrong and more willing to do what's right. And actually, let me add something to that. Willing to be wrong and more willing to pay the price to do what's right. Because the reality is a lot of these things that have happened, there is a price to pay, a comfort to sacrifice, in order to make wrongs right. And, and that's okay because we follow the Savior who laid down his life and paid the price to make wrongs right. He, 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 brought, uh, he brought grace with a high price. And so I think, we need to, I think we need to talk, but I think in a lot of ways we need to stop talking and start acting and putting uh, our money where our mouths is, putting our, our hands where our sermons are, and start acting this out because I think in a time where people have been devastated, now is the time where the church more than ever needs to be doing things, having conversations, apologizing, and making wrongs right. And it's going to mean some sacrifice. It's going to mean some people that maybe had the comfort from generational blessings. Maybe it means that you come down from that generational blessing and you make it right for people that you know you need to make it right for. I, I'm not going to prescribe what people need to do, but they just need to be willing to do something because I've seen people, I've, I've seen, you know, I personally, Josh, I'll tell you, I personally had times 
people that reached out to me when George Floyd happened. And they were like, oh, Terrence, if there's anything we can do. Well, it's crazy because he's like these same people back in the day when, you know, I was in ministry. I remember encountering racism. I went to these people and said, hey, that made me feel really uncomfortable. This thing was said to me and it was racist, you know, and the response was like, oh, man, that sucks, you know, or oh, man, like, you know, like I'll be praying for you. But then when George Floyd happened, they were on the front lines marching down Minneapolis. So for me, I feel like a lot of people want justice when it's popular. I think what we want is we want pop justice. When it's when when there's a t-shirt to buy and everybody's on board and they'll I stand for George Floyd. Well, why don't you stop standing for the dead and start standing for the living? How about that? Because we always see a movement after somebody's died. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, they can't live their life anymore. Why don't you stand for the people that are alive today? And I'm not mad. Listen, everybody watching this, I'm not mad. I'm passionate. I'm passionate about the people that are still living their lives right now. It's going to take courage. It's going to take guts. But we have to do it. As a church, we have to do this. Yeah. I'm just passionate about it. I see a lot of movements happen no, after somebody's that. died. Most of these movements, you know. Um, bless them, like, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and um, you know, all these people that people are standing for, you know, I get the stance, I get the outcry. Um, but man, like, there are people alive today. Yeah. Like, there are people alive today. And, and I think we need to start talking about how do we stand for the living? And what does that look like? You know, I mean, you know, again, like, you know, I remember uh, being one of the only Black people you know, um, on staff, you know, at a ministry. And, and I remember, I remember it was said to me, it was in, in jest, but I remember it was like, Hey, we're so glad you're here. And we were all joking. Right. Um, but I'll never forget this moment. Cause they were like, you know, because you're black and Asian and you kind of look like you could be like Hispanic or Israeli, you kind of, you cover all races for us. Like, so when it comes to affirmative action, like all this stuff, we're good. And I was laughing and they were laughing, but I always remember thinking like, I'm the only one that's not white though. And yeah. all of you guys, all my bosses, like, you're all white. And so, like, can I say to my boss at that point, actually, that's offensive. And I'm hurt by that. Because yeah. I don't think I ever would have, I don't think I, I could have gone higher. I think I would have been viewed as a threat. So at what point do you say, like, hey, actually, that's, I don't like that. I don't like that. It makes me feel like I'm only here because I'm black and I'm not a man, right? And so, you know, I think. I think what we have to do is we have to start having conversations about that. And I think we need to together as Christ followers begin to talk about how can we make wrongs right? How do we do that? You know, how do we make sure that people feel like they have a seat at the table? Um, I, I, you know, sorry, I just another example. My mom, actually, she told me this. Um, there was, you know, there was somebody who came in to the place that she works and and they were like oh man that guy just you know i just got jude by that guy and she was like jude and she was like yeah i got screwed over you know that's jude and she was like listen if anybody ever she just went off and when my mom goes off she gets quiet that's the crazy thing about my mom she doesn't get loud she was like she got really quiet she's like if i hear anybody say jude in this place ever again i'm gonna come unglued that is wrong and unacceptable well like that's they're most likely not going to hire for hire her for any executive level of leadership. And it was an executive that said it. It was a leader that said that, right? In the company. Mm -hmm. And so who who's gonna invite her to the table? Right? Yeah. Because if she'll stand for injustice on the showroom floor of their company, 
that she's not going to stand for it in the boardroom or at the table. Yeah. So now she's become a threat. And see, that's that, that 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 to me, that's concerning because how many more minorities or black people feel that way that they can't have a seat? At the, I know a lot of them. I've had a lot of conversations yeah. that that if they are vocal about injustice, then they become a threat because legally now you're a threat. So we'll pacify you. And we'll do whatever we need to do to keep you because we legally need you because you're black, not because you're a great worker. But, you know, we're, we're going to keep you here. We got to have more conversations about that and we got to do something about it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, man, <laughs> I stepped I down off my soapbox, but I'm passionate. No, no, that, that was great. No, I, I appreciate that. I think <laughs> it's, it's tough to kind yeah, of yeah, find yeah. that balance of like, I don't want to be the guy that's always like, calling everything racist. I don't want to be that guy that's always like making a bigger right. deal about stuff than it really is. But if you don't call yeah. someone on it, it's going to continue. And we talked about like the difference between yeah. saying something offensive and actually being racist. Sometimes, I don't know. I, I think that's a tough balance to find. Like, when am I going to call you on it? And when is it yeah. maybe not a big deal? And, and maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe it should be like, we need to call people on it every right. time and stop looking the other way. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think the the pain is so deep that I think we should err on the side of communication. Like when I think calling it out needs to look like calling it out with the commitment to one another, um, because in the church, we have a bad habit of just dropping people. Right. Like like, oh, done. Right. And we're family. Right. Isn't this the family of God? I mean, that's like the equivalent of somebody coming to the dinner table, you going home. You know, being like, Dad, I disagree. And he's like, well, I got to do this for you. You're not a part of the family anymore, Josh. I'm sorry, yeah. man, you're out. It's like, wait, we're family. That's ridiculous. So I think we have to have a, a, a foundation of commitment no matter what. And then once we can have that feeling of like, I won't be kicked out of my family or let go. So therefore, I can have a conversation about anything that's made me feel uncomfortable. Then I think what we can do is begin to um pack the ridiculous things like you know i went in line to you serve somebody first that's so racist it's like let's not just throw the racism card at every single thing that makes us feel uncomfortable you know what i mean like then yeah. we can have the conversation of what truly is wrong and what truly is maybe ignorance or maybe nothing at all maybe nothing at all maybe it's just like you know miscommunication but we've got to commit i think I think a lot of people walk on eggshells because they're like, if I call that out, then I'm going to cause controversy and controversy is going to, you know, and it's, that's the problem is, you know, it's, we, we got to have this foundation of trust, trust of like, you won't reject me if I say something that's going to cause some ripples, but we're people and your soul yeah. matters, your heart matters. So yeah, man, I feel you on that though. Yeah, I think the church actually one one of the podcasts I did with uh, Pastor Vince Freeman. He's a pastor in San Diego, friend of mine. Um, talked about how the church should do grace better than anyone. Like the world has canceled culture because they don't understand grace, but we as Christians should know better. I mean, Jesus says this: "Perfect love casts out all fear," and He gives us unmerited grace. So, really, the church should be the best at having very difficult conversations. And here, here's what I, I think. I, I think that if somebody is willing to have the conversation and they're willing to have the conversation following Jesus saying this, like, let's seek truth together. Let's seek reconciliation together. Let's, let's seek understanding. 
uh, because we are the family of God in honor of what Jesus has done for us, then I think the church could begin to lead the way in, in, in race relations instead of constantly kind of really, you know, in my opinion, kind of being the, the, the echo of what culture is leading the way. And I mean, you see like, and, and, you know, I think the church can do it better, to be honest with you. I think we have the ability to do it better. Uh, I think we should, you know, um, but these are tough conversations, you know, and we got to get better at having tough conversations, you know, but yeah. right now a lot of, in a lot of circles, man, we run from tough conversations like the plague, you know, so we gotta, we gotta, that's fear, right? So we gotta yep. stop that. We gotta get to the root of it. And we gotta do better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'm gonna, I think we've, we've been pretty long and had made a little couple of technical issues <laughs> yeah. and stuff. There's more we could definitely talk about. And, um, I, I always appreciate having these conversations with you. So Anytime, man, we definitely need to get together. But I just want to, before we close, if there's anything else you want to say, anything you want to get off your chest, any final thoughts, any takeaways um, for me or for, for the listeners and people watching, anything that you want to say, make sure it gets said before we're done here. What's a, a fi final thought takeaway for this? Yeah, yeah, man. Thank you, first of all, for having me on this. This has been such an honor. And I guess like, I just want to say, you know, I just want to encourage everybody, if you're listening to this, just never be afraid to do the right thing, no matter what the cost. I mean, the thing, the message of the Bible is this, that if you do the right thing in honor of God and to pursue him, uh, uh, he will always watch out for you. So speaking up, you know, against injustice that you see, uh, rising up for the for the for for the minorities, doing what's right. Always do that. And I want to encourage you that God has always got you. He will always have you. Um, there's countless of testimonies on that. And also, too, if you're listening to this, uh, a lot of the stories that I've told, you know, maybe you think you know what I'm talking about or you think you know what I'm referring to. I just want you to know right now, if, if you know, first of all, I love everybody. <laughs> like, there, you know, there's a lot of passion. I'm a passionate guy, so I shout a lot. Again, that also kind of comes from my black culture as well. Uh, I tend to be very loud. The more passion I get, the louder I get, right? Um, so I just want you to know, like, if there's anything I said, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, feel free to hit me up on Instagram, anything like that. You know, it's TR Chong is my, my tag, you know, DM me, let me know, but I love everybody. And I want to let you know, I'm sending all love out to everybody, you know? Um, but yeah, man. So that's, that's what I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me. Thank you guys for listening, watching, join me next week yeah. for the next episode of Mixed in America. Mm -hmm.